0: You're listening to the Eltham Baptist Church Podcast. Well, thanks again for um, joining us uh, tonight. I have got, I I was told that um, uh, I had from about 9.30 to midnight that I need to fill. This is possibly one of the longest sermons you'll ever, ever hear. Um no, actually I I think we just go to ten or so. Then we've got um some more fellowship, we've got some supper, we've got um uh, singing with uh, different different folks, bringing us um, various items, and then we've got a special time of prayer. Sort of getting closer to that that time where we'll do the countdown, and then for those who are still still with us, um, we will we will count count down. Um, which you know, the importance of that. If we don't count down, it actually doesn't doesn't happen. Uh, the the <laughs> clock won't tick over. It's it's been proven. Um, that this is so, and, and actually I believe this year we've got to add one second, uh, something about the atomic clock and, and so forth, and greater minds than mine will tell us tell us why, but we need to add one second, so we'll, um, we'll actually start the countdown um, possibly at uh, nine minutes to, no, nine seconds, nine, nine seconds, not nine minutes to, <laughs> or, or say one twice, yeah, yeah, three, two, one, one, zero, okay, good. We got it. We'll get there. We will get there. We will usher in the new year. Well, um, there's something, it's, it's kind, of, kind of interesting when we think about um, the new year and, and our celebrations and, and even, even that, that old thing called New Year's resolutions. I don't know if you've ever made one or not. I don't know if you've ever been tempted. I don't know if you've given up on them, um, but there's, there's something about the... Um, the the picture, and you'll see it tomorrow if you're out and about. Of the New Year's Day jogger, you see them. <laughs> They're lamenting Christmas. They know that they overdid it just a little bit, and uh, and it is a phenomenon. The New Year's Day jogger. Now it's great. It's great how you start out in life, but um, it's more important how you how you finish. And I think as Christians and as disciples of followers of Jesus Christ, we we need to think a little bit about not just the start, but the finish as well. Jesus asks us not just to make uh, resolutions for 2017, but to actually make resolutions for life, resolutions for, in fact, eternity. Eternity. Now, here is a word that is, that is not used very commonly, but, but I want you to give it a little bit of thought for, for just a moment. Eternity. In fact, um, because... Hey, this is a kind of a different sort of a service, and and we can we can be a little bit Romanian here, um, which I actually don't know what that's going to look like. But I thought we'd make it a little bit more interactive. So why don't you turn around, twos, threes, however however you you want, and um, and just have a little discussion um, around that word eternity for a moment. And I want you to ponder two things: what what does it mean? How would, you, how would you explain eternity to someone who was, was new to the English language or the concept and wondered, what, what, what is that word? Please explain it to me. What is that word? How would you explain it to someone, the word eternity? And what's the significance, do you think, for us as Christians? Okay, you can you can actually have a few minutes um, to to delve into this topic. So I want you to ponder the word eternity. Turn around, twos, threes, whatever. Um, and uh, what? How would you explain it to somebody else? And what's its significance? Well, it is it is quite something to to get our heads around. And 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 yes, some some years ago there in Sydney there was a a preacher by the name of John Ridley. He was an evangelist, and he was talking about eternity, and he was just talking about what a marvelous word it was. And as he was preaching, he, he just, just said, every preacher, every pastor should be continually reminding their congregations um, time and time again that, that really all of us are travelers to eternity, travelers to eternity. That was his, his way of talking about it. Now, one, one person who happened upon one of his little meetings was, was somebody known to many of us. Um, just uh, in terms of the story, it's a little bit of Australian history. But Arthur Stace, and uh, Arthur was, um, um, you know, not known for, you know, his uh, um, academic accomplishments or even what he had really, really accomplished in his vocation. In fact, um, he'd been a, uh, been a drunkard and and fairly wayward for most of his life. But but he was struck by that word eternity. Came to Christ, and he took literally the the claims of john ridley that that people should hear and and ponder this word eternity and so so really mostly around sydney but to so the surrounding suburbs as well he would go and in a beautiful copperplate uh type font he would he would using chalk write the word eternity on footpaths as as people would would pass he did that for over 30 years and many residents around sydney whether they they knew of arthur stace or not they knew of of this this trend, this this occurrence of, of the writing of the word "eternity um, around the streets of Sydney, and his hope was that just as people passed by that they would they would ponder its meaning and its significance. it really is a, is a very, very significant word. You, you see, I think too often and particularly um, in just day-to-day life, and we'll explore this in a moment why, but we, we live very much for the temporal, even as Christians. I think we can, we can confuse the, the foyer for the banquet hall, and we can confuse the hors d'oeuvres that are on offer for the grand feast that awaits us. We can forget that there is a banquet hall and an amazing, an amazing feast put on our, by our Heavenly Father. And his wish and his desire, thus his patience, is that more and more people will enter into and be, be a part of that banquet. But for the time being, we're on a bit of a commission, but we can, we can lose sight of that sometimes. The hors d'oeuvres in the foyer are so tasty, and we can gorge ourselves on that, forgetting that. Soon those doors will open, and we will enter in to an amazing banquet. Now, This is no time to be gorging on the hors d'oeuvres in the foyer. So Jesus has much to say uh, about this subject and, and we're just going to look at um, one particular um, passage here in Luke chapter 12. So if you've got your Bibles with you open up with me to Luke chapter 12 and let's consider just a couple of things that Jesus talks about in terms of this, this whole idea or this notion of, of eternity. Luke chapter 12 is teaching a a crowd here um, many thousands in fact and they were almost trampling on one another to hear the words of Jesus and here we get to we get to sit in relative comfort to hear the words of Jesus but let's let's soak them up and digest them with that same hunger that the crowds back back in the day when Luke was writing were Um, we're demonstrating, talking about and warning the crowds about the yeast of the Pharisees. In verse 4 he says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, yet not one of them is forgotten by God? Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me, the Son of Man, will also will also be acknowledged before the angels of God. But whoever publicly disowns me will be disowned before the angels of God. So here is a, a little bit of a picture in the heavenlies Jesus is giving folk of almost like a court scene. We notice that that it doesn't appear, at least immediately, that That God is the focus as judge, but we know that he is the ultimate judge. But here Jesus is painting the pictures of of the many, many witnesses. And we don't really know, are all these angels of God, are they the jury? Or are they just part of the the courtroom witness there? But either way, Jesus appears here as, as something of the prosecutor. But we know this, he always wins his case. And he is very simply here pointing out a reality that if you choose in this lifetime to acknowledge Jesus Christ publicly, well, much joy awaits you because your day will come. You will stand in those heavenly courts and the gracious and merciful prosecutor, Jesus, will advocate for you. And he will acknowledge you in front of that heavenly court. He will stand up for you. But the flip side is too, that if you do not choose to acknowledge Jesus in this lifetime, then you have cause to be very afraid. Because you will be standing before the judge who has the power to condemn you to hell. I can't mince the words because these are the words of Scripture. I can't say that any more nicely. God's Word says it. That's it. You stand before the judge who will, on the basis of your choices in this life, will publicly announce the implications for all of eternity. That's the one that we should be fearful of. Not people in this life, whether they're Pharisees or somebody else. There are no need to fear anyone in this life. No need to fear anyone who can take your life, because that's all that they can take. If it's already been given, it's not a problem. But we need to fear the judge, our God who is going to decide our eternity, our eternal fate, based on the decisions we make in this life. It's a great warning. We we live today, thinking about our culture, we live today in a day which I would would describe as neo-romanticism, the day of neo-romantics. Now, now, when I say this, you're kind of thinking, oh, romantics, that's nice. <laughs> well, it could be, but in this case, it's not. So romanticism in philosophy, and historically speaking, um, had, a, had a temptation to look back in the past. Now, this is as, as, a, as a new era was dawning, the, the age in which science and reason and so forth would rule. And in that, in that era... Um, everything was becoming rather, I don't know, rather scientific and, and so forth. And, and the romanticists were, were quick to look back to the good old days when things weren't so. And they tended to emphasise, and tell me whether you think this might be happening again today, and that's why I say neo re- Neo-romantics. they tended to in- um, sorry, emphasise the individual over others the collective does that ring a bell then they would tend to emphasize emotions over reason does that ring a bell so that's romanticism they're the romantics historically speaking individuals over the collective emotions over reason now why do I say these are the new romantics because here's a difference The old romantics, historically, they would would look to the past. They would look back, whereas the new romantics, they look forward. They are progressive. They believe that that the best is yet to come, and if we just keep evolving and we keep progressing and we keep changing, and change is one of the most valued concepts of the neo-romanticists, if we just keep changing, progressing, realizing that any of the old ways, tradition, conservative ways, all of that is behind us and deserves to be behind us, we have to evolve, we have to change, we have to become something else other than what we are. That's the only way ahead, the only way forward, the only hope that we have. Progressiveness is, is part of the, the new romanticism. But one of the other aspects... Is there very real emphasis on the temporal over the eternal? This is it. Your day is now. You have to make it count. It's smacks of existentialism, but it really is very much about validating or authenticating yourself in the moment. This is your moment, and it's all that counts. And the temporal is emphasized over, over the eternal. Now, how is that relevant? it's relevant in this, it permeates just about every aspect of culture that you can think of. It is in the books that you read, it's in the movies that you watch, it's in the commentators of the day, it's in the news and the media and how they want you to think. It's in advertising, it's in commercials, it's in slogans, it's on billboards, it's It's in social media. It is everywhere that you look today. Your attention is drawn to the temporal rather than the eternal. It's true. You need to watch your culture very, very carefully. Because it is almost the exact opposite to the kingdom of God. It takes all of the wonderful values of the kingdom of God and turns it upside down, which is why the kingdom of God is often called the upside-down kingdom. Relative to this world, that's exactly what it was. And so, so the context in which we live today and the words of Jesus, as they're recorded here in Luke, are very, very relevant. Essentially, Jesus is saying, don't worry about Your critics, don't worry about those who seek to harm you. Worry about the one who holds your eternal fate. That's the one that you should be focusing on. Acknowledge the one who decides your eternal fate. He is the one that deserves your attention and your devotion and your worship. It's a good reminder, isn't it? For all of eternity, for all of eternity, we will be in relationship with God. So let God be the focus every day of our lives. Let Him be the one who dominates our thoughts. Let us not be a part of the neo-romantics. Be aware of the pull of culture. Like a a tide. A very real theme for for us around summertime and, and beaches, isn't it? Like the pull of the tide, like the pull of the water... Fight it with all that you have, because what is at stake here? Is eternity. Is eternity. So the first point that Jesus seems to be making here is to acknowledge the one who will decide your eternal fate. And Then he goes on, and, and parts of what Jesus talks about here um, you will find echoed in, in Matthew. You remember this. You know, do not be anxious about tomorrow and so forth. And and Luke talks here about, about these, these things as well. Do not worry. But firstly, he has the parable of what we, what we call the rich fool. Someone in the crowd asks him a question at this particular point. So he's just been talking about acknowledging God and, and the one who um, will um, ultimately uh, decide your eternal fate. And somebody in the crowd says to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. It's kind of an odd one, isn't it? What was the guy thinking? What was, he, what was he pondering there? But Jesus picks up on that in that beautiful interactive way that he does with his crowd. He, he says, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? But he, but he uses this moment to, to create a little learning lesson here. And he says, to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. You see, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions in verse 15. In verse 16, he then goes on and he tells them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. So was at everyone's attention. In those days, a harvest was important. And particularly an abundant harvest, probably everybody was thinking this was, this was a good guy. Because an abundant harvest means God's blessing, right? So, you know, Jesus has pulled them all in right now. They think that Jesus is talking about perhaps a very, very righteous man. So he goes on. He says, he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, Hmm, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat and be Merry. Why be Mary? Why not Martha? But anyway, <laughs> there it is. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with those who store up things for themselves, but are not rich toward God not rich toward God. Here Jesus is addressing this, this whole notion of life purpose. And in particular, this whole area of provision. Why why did the guy want you know, his share of the inheritance? Well, well, Jesus says, be aware of all types of greed. In other words, greed has many colors. There can be many reasons for, for greed taking over a place in your life. It can be To be quite honest, it can be just covetousness and wanting more. But it can also be insecurity. It can be your past. It can be your family of origin. It can be so many different things. So many motivators actually come in. Greed has so many different colors. Jesus says, no matter what color or type of greed it is that you are suffering from, be aware of all of the different types of greed. Be very careful here. You are on shaky ground because the temptation... To build up a surplus supply of things is always before us, whatever the reason or the rationale behind it. And believe me, we're very good at giving a reason or a rationale for it, aren't we? <laughs> I mean, I, I see something that, that all of a sudden looks just a, a notch qualitatively better than, than what I already have, and I can start to talk myself around to why I need that. Oh boy, it does that? Wow. We're very, very clever at justifying our greed. And Jesus says, be very, very careful here. He is really addressing the ultimate purpose, our ultimate purpose in in life here. And and perhaps perhaps we need to to be very careful in this whole area of greed. This whole area of accumulating a surplus for now because we're not quite sure about tomorrow. Um, I notice in someone in the audience here, I won't point them out because I don't want to embarrass them. Someone in the audience here said something many, many years ago which I latched onto. We're talking about the value of taking a walk through a cemetery from time to time. I took that on board because I don't think I'd ever really spent a whole lot of time studying tombstones in cemeteries. But I thought, well, I don't want to miss out. Maybe there's maybe there's something there. And so, so I did. On one occasion, stopped by a cemetery, jumped out of the car. felt a bit morbid, but I took a walk and started studying some of the tombstones. And apart from working out the, you know various segregated areas of cemetery and so forth. And um, I came across some very interesting, interesting memorials. On one occasion, I was in Malaysia, in um, Penang, to be precise. And and we were there, and and I had a day where everybody wanted to just relax by the pool. It was a day off, holiday actually. And uh, I just didn't feel like sitting by the pool. I just... Penang is a beautiful city full of beautiful old colonial buildings and and I kind of had this thought I'd, I'd love to um, with my camera put it on a bit of a black and white setting or a sepia setting and just go shoot some of these beautiful old buildings around the place so um, with nobody else interested I did it grabbed the bus went into the went into the center of the city and And I was particularly watching the route that we were going as we were going in because I wanted to note all the old buildings and just get it in my head. I didn't have a physical map, so I was going to have to kind of replicate this on foot. And as I was going down the main street in in Penang, getting closer to, to where it was that I thought I was going to get off the bus, I went past this cemetery, which looked very eerie. And I immediately had a pull. I thought, I want to go there. So I... Took a few photos of buildings. Made my way to this cemetery, and and um, this was a place you wouldn't want to be at night. It was overgrown. You know, the little little um, um iron wrought iron fences were falling over. Stones were were out of place, and so forth. But I made my way down these paths covered in weeds and overgrowth, and so forth. And and I just wondered. I just th- thought, wow, this is, this is an Old, old cemetery. And I, I, I wondered if, um, uh, you, you know, just knowing a little bit of the makeup of Malaysia, would I even be able to read these tombstones? Would they, would they be in Malay or what? And, and I noticed they are in English. And I, um, I grabbed the camera out and I started to, to just snap some, some photos. And then I walked up and, and started reading some of the tombstones. And all of a sudden I realized... This was no ordinary cemetery. This was, as in, as in many cities um, back in the day, this was where, outside of the main city, they buried the foreigners. And most of the foreigners were missionaries. And so, for instance, on one tombstone, I read this, and here is the name Carolyn Ince. Well, she died on the the 5th of April, 1820, aged five months and 26 days. I thought, ah, the little one just died. Didn't even reach her first birthday. But then, less than a year later, on the 23rd of May, 1821, lay Eliza Ince. She died one month and four days. And I thought, oh dear, this poor couple. Their first daughter, Carolyn, died just after five months. Then a year later, their second daughter, Eliza, dies just a little bit over one month. And then I read the next entry, all on the one tombstone. 1st of June, 1822. About a year later again, just a bit over a year again, Joanna Ince, 27 years old. And he was, he was the mother. The wife of Reverend J Ince, comma, missionary. And then there was this little, little note. Here lies Joanna Ince, who after a short but painful illness entered into the joy of her Lord taking with her to the grave her infant son. So five months in 1820, Carolyn dies. A little under a year later, Eliza dies. And just a little over a year later, Joanna the mother dies, taking with her the unnamed son. And then we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Well, I moved on from that graveyard just thinking about the sadness and no mention of the father. Thinking about, oh, so the Reverend J. Ince, you know, must have been buried somewhere else. And sure enough, just a couple of tombstones over. Here is his entry. 24th of April, 1825. Just around three years, a little under three years after his wife died. Here lies Reverend John Ince, aged 29 years. Just under three years. And the inscription there is, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Cemeteries tell you a lot. Here's the story of John and Joanna Ince, who went to serve the Lord in Malaysia, who only served for a few years, lost three children in around three years, and then John lost his wife, Joanna, And then, of course, he himself went to be with the Lord. And you might ask, there they are, 27 years of age, 29 years of age, dying of, well, we don't know, but possibly malaria, any one of a number of illnesses that were often taking missionaries around that time. You might wonder whether it was worth it all, mightn't you? They have purpose. They were not living for today. They were not living for the moment. They were not living to accumulate riches. They were not living to to somehow fortify for themselves some some version of security. They lived their lives to the fullest gave their lives in service for their Lord and truly did enter into his joy, having lived for eternity and having made an impact for eternity as well. Jesus reminds us, in terms of not accumulating riches in this life, he reminds us very, very simply in verse 21, This is how it will be with those who store up things for themselves but are not rich towards God. He reminds us here, be rich towards God. Make God your treasure. Make God your treasure. Firstly, acknowledge the one who decides your eternal fate. And then secondly, make him your treasure. Every day. Four, here's the wonderful promise. He then goes on, and he talks about this this section that you're familiar with in Matthew chapter six. You know, do not worry about tomorrow, and you know what you're going to wear, and what you're going to eat and drink, and so forth. Are very, very familiar. Do not worry about your life. And Luke goes on, and in verse twenty-seven, he talks about considering the wildflowers as an, as an example of the bounty of God, and and consider how he clothes the grass of the field. How much more will he? He clothe you, and then in verse twenty-nine he says, summing it all up, he says, "Do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things. And your father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well." And here's a little, a great little recipe for putting all of this into into perspective. We need to be. Be found rich towards God, and he will provide for all of your tomorrows. He's got you covered. He's got you covered. Um, uh, back in the days before there were such things as, as wedding registers, um, it was a little bit hit or miss. So for our, our wedding, um, we, we had to guess the estimates, but Brian and I guessed that we had approximately eight or even nine sets of placemats um, for our wedding, people were very, very generous. We just didn't host that many people. Um, and, uh, and I think we had six or seven sets of cutlery, which was going to, going to last us for a long, long time. Um, and, uh, you know, we were delighted with people's generosity. It was, it was a great way. We love the way the family of God comes together to just set you up in those early days with the sorts of things that you're going to need cutlery and placemats, and uh, we were amply provided. But here is, here is the thought here. Imagine for a moment that you, you have to get something or another. It could be placemats. It could be cutlery. And imagine you're running around all over the shops to get the cutlery or the placemats or whatever it might be. And in the meantime, trying to ring you, except you've got your mobile on silent, is your dad. And he wants to tell you, hey, don't worry, I've already got them. I've got the placemats. I've got the cutlery. You don't need to worry about it. And in fact, I just happen to have been able to afford something that you could never have afforded. You're going to love what I've got for you. You don't need to worry. I've already provided. That's the sense of this passage. Jesus is essentially saying, you know, the, the people who... Don't know God. Pagans, they have to act this way. Well, they don't know that there is a, that there is a Father in heaven who loves them and who has already provided for them. He has everything that they need, whether it be placemats, whether it be cutlery, you name it. The provision is already there. He's already got it. He's got it covered. You really don't have to fret. You really don't have to worry. You don't have to run here or run there or run anywhere else trying to get something or gather the, the necessities of life, it, all of life's provisions. He's got them. He already has it. He's trying to tell you, you can trust me for that. What is it? What is it that worries you? What are you going to wear? What you going to eat tomorrow, the next day? What is it that worries you? Don't let it worry you. Child, I've got it. I already have it. When you need it, I'll give it to you. So don't worry. Don't be anxious about these things. That's what Jesus is essentially saying to us here. Acknowledge the one who decides your eternal fate. Make God your treasure, and he will provide for all of your tomorrows. Let me say that again. Acknowledge the one who decides your eternal fate. Make him your treasure. And he will provide for all of your tomorrows. Back in about 2008, we think, I got to check this date because Lynn Wake, she's dropping you off, Rachel, wasn't she? I got to check the date. Do you remember our little Gold Coast trip? Hunts and Wakes took on the Gold Coast and won. <laughs> we went to the theme parks, we went to the coffee shops, and we had a ball. And uh, one night, um, I had a thought. What if we walk um, along the beach from Broad Beach where we were, all the way up to the Gold Coast, just walk along the sand there. I, I love the beautiful contrast. You know, all the big buildings and everything that clever man was able to build, and the beautiful ocean. And the moon shining upon it on the other side. And so as we walked north up the up the beach there, we got probably about to the halfway mark by my estimate. I must confess, the walk was a little longer than I'd anticipated, and the promise of ice creams was the only thing that got us through. <laughs> but we stopped about halfway through, and we all sort of gathered around, and we, we all came in. And uh, I can't remember whether it was, was Uncle Dave or I, but we just started talking about life, purpose, purpose. In eternity, We had just one of those lovely little moments where all the kids standing around I said, so eternity is like as far as you could look down the beach that way towards a broad beach. Now, it was dark, so the illustration was a bit flawed. But anyway, <laughs> and as far towards the actual Gold Coast that you can look, as far as you can look. And imagine that that's just one big continuum. And, and here we are standing here now, our lives are like, ah, and we just picked up a grain of sand. Can you measure the width of that? Imagine that that's not your life, as in you're like that grain of sand, but that's the breadth of your life. That's, that's the expanse of your life relative to eternity. It's very, very small, isn't it? And it's worth making it count. And little did we know as we were standing around in that circle, of course, um, Bethany was a part of that conversation. And I guess at that particular moment, as she amongst all of us listened to, to that little little thought, and then we continued up the beach, just, just thinking and talking and chatting and Playing games and continuing on. But little did we know that she only had two more years to define that expanse of, of her life, um, by our estimates, just thinking back to that time. And in that two years, a number of things would happen in her life, but perhaps one of the really significant ones was a, was a trip that the family took to New Zealand. And Dave was playing a role over there with Wycliffe Bible Translators. And, and as part of that, Wycliffe had a presentation with a map of the world to talk about where God might use you around the world. And, and Bethy, she didn't know where to stand. I think she wanted to just run all over it. But she did say to Dave, reflecting on that time, how much she just wanted to be used by God. And for his glory and that that encounter there in new zealand was a was a precious reminder of making every every day count and she did and hers was a very special mission that she would she would embark on she would she'd be diagnosed with with a horrible brain tumor and in just uh, around a year's time she would continue through one of life's more horrific experiences, to give glory to God, to praise her Saviour, and to acknowledge Him, knowing that she would one day enter her joy and her rest, and so give Him glory. That was her mission. That was how she was to, to glorify God. And so eternity is a reminder to make every day count. By making God your treasure every day. Make every day count for eternity. By making God your treasure every day. That's what Jesus, I think, would like us to do for 2017 and 18 and 19 and 20. For the rest of your years, whatever that expanse is, Jesus would like you, I believe, in terms of framing new resolutions to make every day count for eternity by making Him your treasure every day. Let's pray. Father, I want to, I want to thank You so much for for your word, and particularly um, to us tonight. I want to thank you for how this encourages us to think of the future. Not too far ahead, but full of possibilities and opportunities to bring you glory. And it starts today, and it starts now. By making you number one in our life. Our treasure, the thing we are most devoted to. Our joy and our hope. That you would be our first love. That you would be the absolute focus of all of our thoughts. That you would be the center of every decision and choice that we make. that you would guide and guard our hearts in Christ Jesus. And so tonight, we want to say once more, Jesus, be the center of it all. Be first and foremost in our minds and our hearts. Be the only object of worship that we have. And all else, we lay down and surrender at the cross. For you alone are worthy. That's what we declare. That's what we believe. That's how it is, Lord. Amen. You've been listening to the Eltham Baptist Church Podcast. If you'd like to hear more or simply pay us a visit, go to www.elthambaptist.net.